0: You are listening to Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. I'm Bree. I'm White. And we're going to talk about some gnarly shit. Oh yeah. Actually, in the case of this episode, some spooky shit.
1: Oh, mine's not spooky. Mine's kind of just a just a cult. <laughs> yeah, they're just a cult.
0: Well, that's different from the occult, so did you misunderstand the assignment? Oh.
1: Uh. <laughs> uh, I guess, after everything the past two days, and I misunderstood the
0: uh, It'll still be a good story. I forgive you. That's actually good, though, because the first part of the episode, I was going to go over the difference, so okay, that'll be a good example, I, I guess. I know there was a difference. <laughs> There's definitely a difference. Um, before I get into that, Wade, what are you drinking this evening?
1: I'm actually drinking some Rye Bullet, some whiskey. On the rocks? On the rocks. On... My whiskey rocks. It's actually little granite cubes that you got me for Christmas one year. So fancy. It is. It doesn't water down your alcohol. It sure mm-hmm. doesn't. hmm
0: I am drinking blended frozen blueberries with gin, lemonade, and peach juice. <coughs> pretty bomb.
1: Yeah. The, the first one was pretty good.
0: Not going to lie. Um, I
1: like those sh- fruity drinks. I, <laughs> I mean,
0: everybody does. They taste good. If you say you don't, you're a liar.
1: That, and normally when you order them, most of the time the bartender sees it on the tab and they're like, oh, it's a girl. Let me get her (laughs) fucked up. So you get a shit ton more alcohol if you order those drinks at bars. Yes. Yep.
0: Unless you're face to face with the bartender ordering the drink, but.
1: No, I've done it myself. You're like, oh yeah, my girl wants this and her friend wants this, and I see it every time, heavy handed, and I walk away all happy. (laughs) I even tell them, put whipped cream on top.
0: You're ridiculous.
1: It's not ridiculous. I just know how to get drunk on sheep. True. Drunk or, on sheep. Yeah. <laughs> drunk on sheep. I'm sheep drunk. <laughs>
0: that's amazing. All right. So, I forgive you for misunderstanding the assignment. I do want to do a cult episode at some point, though, so you're going to have to find another story. Cool?
1: Shit. Okay. That's not that hard. No. There's a lot yeah. of cults out there. Trust me. Y'all.
0: Well, today, our actual episode, which we haven't stated yet, I'm sorry, we pre-gamed this, is Occult Crimes.
1: See, it sounds occult crimes, like a cult crime.
0: Okay. A cult, two different words. A cult. The occult, O C C U L T,
1: one word. I didn't even know this existed, so educate me, please.
0: Well, you're married to someone that dabbles in it, so you know it exists. You just didn't know it was named this.
1: Okay. okay. Touche.
0: <laughs> All right. So, the difference. Cult, C-U-L-T, the one that Wade did his story on that he misunderstood (laughs) the assignment, can work as a noun as well as an adjective. It refers to a, a group of people who have kind of a belief system that is different from the socially accepted religious beliefs. In some communities, certain cultic groups are identified as deviants who go against the accepted social beliefs and norms. Sometimes, cults may be small in numbers. Uh, These cultic groups are believed to be extremists in their beliefs, generally speaking, of course, and nothing can change them. Also, the leader of a cultic group is mostly a single individual who is an authoritative figure among the followers. Most people see the cults as groups who falsely go after an imaginative faith. Further, they see cults as misguiding agents, um of community because the cults do not accord with the socially established belief system which i'm all about like freedom of beliefs but generally speaking cults are bad news yeah they're not great um usually that one like religious symbol or person or leader in a cult is benefiting um, monetarily or from the fucking hard dick they're getting from all the attention or both Um, that's the religious side of the word cult. The term is not only used to label a semi-religious group or gathering, but it has another function too. As I had mentioned earlier, the word can be used as an adjective as well. So example, the movie star has become a cult figure among the youth. So this means that the movie star has become a popular figure among youth and he has become like a role model in that particular community. Moreover, the word cult can be used to express a way of life or an attitude that has become very popular in society. So, like, CrossFit is cult-like. Yeah. Veganism is cult-like. Not, like, putting a bad connotation to it, just a lot of people are kind of, like, for that specific thing, and it's different from, like, normal social views. Gotcha, gotcha. Um... Another example, the cult of instant food. So like top ramen and mac and cheese and that shit. This means that the use of instant food has become a trend in the, po- in the particular community. So just kind of showing you like it can be a noun. It can be like Jonestown, um, Scientology. We're getting a little political here, but those are cults or you can use it as a describing word like I just went over. So now we'll consider the term occult, O-C-C-U-L-T. A cult is a connection with supernatural magic or powers, and science or reason cannot explain these things. Either a group of people or a single individual may practice a cult, and they use mysterious power elements which cannot be understood by ordinary people. So I think it just means mainstream society. The groups or individuals who practice a cult assume that they have a magical power and strength, and they use this power to attain certain things. Holy shit! For example, those who practice witchcraft may try to enchant, kill, or harm people. And also, they can use the power for welfare as well. None of the witches I know have tried to kill anyone, but I guess. Fortune-telling, talking with the dead, witchcraft, and tarot are some examples of occult practices. The occult always deals with supernatural or demonic
1: powers. Oh, man. My story is going to be poor.
0: So, like, way different.
1: Uh, my, it's a cult. It's <laughs>
0: it's just a cult, and state it's just cult.
1: about a cult. It's not even like
0: I should have like written down what I wanted for the episode and then showed it to you because literally all of my background is the misunderstanding. Of all it
1: hurt was cult.
0: It'll be a good mix.
1: So I'm glad that we're going over the misunderstanding <laughs> that way. I don't misunderstand when you want to do a cult.
0: How about when I do a cult crimes, you do an occult crime, and <laughs> I do a cult crime? All right. Okay. Sounds good. That works. All right. Um, the occult, O-C-C-U-L-T, just to make sure everybody's on the same page, <laughs> <laughs> um, is from the Latin word occultus, clastidine, hidden, or secret are some describing words for this word in Latin. Um, it's the knowledge of the hidden or knowledge of the paranormal is what it translates to. And it opposes um, like measurable facts used in science. This term is sometimes taken to mean knowledge that is meant only for certain people or that must be kept hidden, but for most practicing occultists, it's simply the study of a deeper spiritual reality that extends pure reason and the physical sciences. Um, I was a little nervous to like talk about myself in this episode because I know there's a lot of judgment on a lot of these topics, but on a personal level, I related a lot to the research that I did. Um, there's so many different sectors of occult practice there are people that run way in left field with it with like animal sacrifice and shit like that but not all practicing occultists are evil in any way shape or form like i read tarot i do crystal work i do energy work i believe in alchemy i think that we can take our energy and put it out into things and change the world and i try and practice that um which i have been judged for and even kicked out of a job for so, that sucks.
1: Yeah, you didn't get kicked out of your job because of that.
0: It was part of it.
1: It, yeah.
0: It was part of it. I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> there was a lot of other shit involved, but yes, yes, he was kind of scared of you because you practiced witchcraft.
0: Quote, unquote Witch! witchcraft. Witch! I thought I was going to cast a spell on him. You did. No, I didn't. Actually, but- I did. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways... He
1: kind of was accurate on thinking that of you, but anyways...
0: Anyways, uh, he wouldn't have gotten my wrath if he wouldn't have been such a dick. Anyways,
1: okay. I am so mighty, you shall not pass.
0: Just because somebody practices these things does not mean that they are a bad human being. So I'm going to talk about a case where somebody was involved in the occult and they were a really bad fucking human being (laughs) and it's horrible. But
1: just to not strengthen my point of that, everybody isn't bad. There's
0: degrees to everything. (laughs) Well, yeah,
1: if you're a violent person, you're going to bring violence to your religion. If it's Buddhism, if it's anything, if you're violent, violence will rule your religion. True. That's how I look at it.
0: Well, just my whole point was like occult practices, they don't make you a bad human being or evil, not inherently. Being a witch is not a bad thing. Satanic panic has completely, or has not completely worn off, um, but there has been an enor- enormous resurgence of Wiccan, paganism, mediumship, sorcery, and all other occult practices. Like that has been more socially acceptable in the last, I would say, five years than it has been in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, after that rant, now you guys have gotten to know me better. What, what? Um, the word occult is difficult to define. The reason for this. <laughs> is that almost everyone has a different view of what that word means. Bingo. To some, it represents a fascinating sphere of paranormal activity and mystery. To others, it implies sorcery and dark intentions. Um, Very few people call themselves occultists, yet many are, perhaps without knowing it. Those who do know it rarely use the term due to an abundance of negativity surrounding the whole concept. So that was basically my whole point. That's why I put that quote in there um most people aren't gonna walk around and be like I, pro- I dabble in the occult like it's not yeah anyways on to my story my story is on adolfo constanzo Ooh. <laughs> he's a crazy motherfucker he was born in miami in 1962. he was the son of a 15 year old immigrant Delia Gonzalez, Um, she was a Mexican immigrant. The following years, Delia would be arrested for a plethora of minor infractions, uh, including trespassing, grand theft, check fraud, and child neglect. She never walked away from court with more than probation. She credited this feat to her religion. Evidence suggests that Delia actually involved Adolfo in her crime starting at a super young age, like as soon as he could walk and talk. She may have even used him as an advantage to gain trust with uh, the people she was perpetrating against. By doing this, she quite literally taught her son the art of crime. Delia ended up having three children in total, each with a different baby daddy. Fun fact. After Delia's first husband died, she moved to San Juan, Puerto Rico with her children. She remarried there. Uh, During this time, Adolfo was baptized in the Catholic faith, and he even served as an altar boy at their local church. At the same time, he was accompanying his mother on trips to Haiti to learn about the practice of voodoo. So, like... They had an outward appearance of something, and then they kind of practiced some dark shit in the background. Delia had six-month-old Adolfo blessed by a Haitian priest of the Palo Mayombe religion after he declared that Adolfo was a chosen one and destined for great power. Uh, Palo Mayombe is going to come up a lot in this story, so I'll go over it really quick. It has roots in the Congo basin of Central Africa. Large numbers of the Congo slaves were brought to Cuba where the religion was derived. This religion does not delegate between black and white magic. Um, This means that members are free to choose a path without the repercussions of moral judgment. So like in Christianity, if you do something bad, you're going to hell or you're Mm -hmm. gonna get punished. This religion's like, party! Um, Because of all this, this religion is very popular with criminals and drug dealers in that culture because they're you know yeah
1: you can do whatever
0: yeah you're free to do as you please at the age of 10 adolfo was apprenticed by a haitian priest of the palo mayombe religion he taught adolfo the necessary skills to be a drug dealer and a con artist something he called profiting from evil <laughs> <laughs> now back to dahlia for a little bit which is the mom she was an known witch in her community, she left a string of rented houses, blood-stained and littered with the remains of sacrificial animals. If neighbors gossiped about her, she left headless animal corpses on their doorsteps. Nice. How fucking scary is that? Nice. Are you kidding that me? crazy. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, I'm sure nobody... animals, too, though? <laughs> I don't think so. I hope not. Oh, my God. The crazy in the Costanzo family didn't start with Delia, though. Adolfo's grandfather was heavily involved in occult practices. He struck it wit. Ri- he struck it which He struck it rich, working with local drug dealers, and he imparted a philosophy onto Adolfo that would carry him through his adult life. The philosophy was this: Let non-believers kill themselves with drugs. We will profit from their foolishness. Okay. Like damn. Yeah damn, son. Because of everything going on in his childhood, Adolfo was more than likely experiencing some intense social isolation during his upbringing. His world was basically compromised of himself, his mother, and a religion that essentially allowed crime, drug dealing, and sacrifice. He didn't get a whole lot of opportunity to observe basic life skills, like learning to play instead of learning to fucking steal. I imagine this gave him immense difficulty when trying to form healthy interpersonal relationships and fared for a pretty maladjusted adulthood. Uh. Flash to 1972. Adolfo and his family moved back to Miami after Adolfo's stepfather also passes away, which this is happening a lot already in this story. Delia, I'm looking Mm -hmm. at you. The family was left with a small amount of money he had left to them um, when he passed away. As a teenager, Adolfo apprenticed with a local sorcerer and deepened his knowledge of Palo Mayombe. Delia, his mother, remarried Adolfo's new stepfather, who was not only involved in Palo Mayombe, but drug dealing and smuggling as well. Yay. Adolfo continued to commit crime with his mother during this time. They were arrested on many occasions together. He managed to finish high school through all this, but he was expelled from junior college. I mean, I wasn't expelled, but me too, bro. I didn't finish that shit. Around the same time, Costanzo's mother recalls that her oldest son began displaying psychic powers, scanning the future to predict such events as the 1981 shooting of President Ronald Reagan. Um, which, okay. Be that as it may, Adolfo had problems foretelling his own future, including two 1981 arrests for shoplifting. (laughs) One involving the theft of a chainsaw, which, like, that's metal as fuck. (laughs) On the other side, he had also begun to display bisexual inclinations with a strong preference for male lovers. A modeling assignment took the handsome young sorcerer to Mexico City in 1983, and he spent his free time telling fortunes with tarot cards in the city's infamous Zona Rosa. Before returning to Miami, Adolfo collected his first Mexican disciples, Martin Quintana and psychic George Montez. Also, Omar Araya. I'm so sorry if I slaughtered those names, came with him as well. All men were already obsessed with the occult from a young age. In short order, Constanzo seduced both a young Latino, Rodriguez, and Aurea. They soon were sharing living quarters with each other and running a profitable business that the men would cast spells and, like, cast spells for good luck for people in the community. That was their business. These spells involved expensive animal sacrifice. The men sacrificed animals such as chickens, goats, snakes, zebras, and even lion cubs. Adolfo also offered psychic readings and limpias, which is a form of ritual cleansing for those who have felt cursed by their enemies. So I assume it's like a home cleansing, a spiritual cleansing, which I do that kind of stuff, but it's different. Anyways, now, of course, all of these services costed money from the people in their community. With information gathered from Adolfo's journal, which was recovered after his death, the journal detailed 31 regular paying customers. Some of these customers were paying upwards of $4,500 for a single ceremony, and this was in the mid-70s? That's a lot of fucking money to kill a lion cub. Jesus fucking Christ. Jesus Christ, why? Adolfo ended up creating a menu of sacrificial beasts available for slaughter and ceremony. A rooster went for $6 a head. Goats went for 30 bucks. Boa constrictors came in at 450 Adult zebras for 1100 And African lion cubs were listed at $3,100 each. And that's just for the animal to sacrifice. This whole part just, like, makes me sad. And I'm like, are you kidding? This dude was rolling in dough. Like, he was doing other shit on the side. Yeah. Criminally, but, like, this was his main business. It, it... True to the teachings of his Florida mentor, Constanzo went out of his way to charm wealthy drug dealers, um, part of his clientele, helping them schedule shipments and meetings on the basis of his predictions. So now his two worlds are kind of like colliding. For a price, he offered magic that would make dealers and their hitmen invisible to police, bulletproof against their enemies, which remember that little tidbit because it comes back at the end. It was all nonsense, of course, but smugglers drawn from Mexican peasant stock with a background in brujeria were strongly inclined to believe. Now, I read that, and I was like, what the fuck is brujeria? So I went on wiki and, like, kind of went into a rabbit hole and read about it. In short, it's an extreme Mexican metal band that was formed in Tijuana. I was like, oh, shit, I thought that was, like, some kind of voodoo practice, but it's a metal band. Okay. Uh, they were formed in 1989. Their name comes from the Spanish word for witchcraft. Their music focuses on the following topics Satanism, anti Christian beliefs, sex, immigration, narcotics, smuggling, and politics. Sounds like a fun time. Many of his clients were rich drug dealers and hitmen who enjoyed the violence of Costanzo's magical displays because, like, they witnessed this shit, they were there. He also attracted other rich members of Mexican society, including several high-ranking corrupt policemen who introduced him to the city's powerful narcotics cartels. So, not only was he, like, selling him on the fact that he was going to fix all of their problems, he was giving them, like, a fantastical show. Yeah. So. He
1: was doing the dog and pony show for
0: him. I mean, he really was. He really was. And not only did he have drug dealers on his side, he had Interpol, On his side, people that worked in the police department, that area was already so corrupt. So this dude was literally like padded and insulated from getting Mm -hmm. in trouble. And because of that, that's why the shit he did went so fucking far, which I will get into. According to Constanzo's ledgers, one dealer in Mexico City paid him 40 grand for magical services rendered over three years time. At those rates, the customers demanded a show, and Constanzo recognized the folly of disappointing men who carried oozy submachine guns in their armor-plated limousines. Like, okay, shit. Strong medicine required first-rate ingredients, and Adolfo was rolling by mid-1985 when he and three of his disciples raided a... Wait. <laughs> <laughs> not rolling, not like rolling face. He was rolling in dough. My error whoopsie rolling in dough by mid-1985 um, and three of his disciples raided a mexico city graveyard for human bones to start his own naganga and again i hope i'm saying this right naganga is the traditional traditional cauldron of blood employed by practitioners of palo so that's kind of like a thing in their religion again went down a rabbit hole the Naganga is the source of the Palo practitioner's power, and what's put into it is said to come back to the practitioner. So that's like their source. So, for example, if the practitioner wants physical strength, he or she may put animal muscles into the Naganga. If they want youth, they will put the blood of a young chicken into the Naganga. So
1: does that kind of make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, okay. I mean, not make sense. It doesn't but... make sense, but I get what, yeah. Yes, yes. I'm picking up what you're putting down.
0: I'm smelling what you cooking.
1: hmm
0: The rituals and air of mystery surrounding Constanzo were powerful enough to lure a cross-section of Mexican society, so he had all kinds. With his little clique of disciples, including a physician, a real estate speculator, fashion models, and several... In the article, they called them transvestite nightclub performers. I'm going to say transgender nightclub performers. He seemed to have an appeal to ranking law enforcement officials. At least four members of the federal judicial police joined Costanzo's cult in Mexico City. One of them, Salvador Garcia, was a commander in charge of narcotics investigations, dude. And they were running drugs through this business, like, hard. He knew it. Another, Florentino Ventura, retired from the Federales, which I assume is the feds. Mexican police. Yeah, to lead the Mexican branch of Interpol. So, again, holy shit. In a country where bribery permeates all levels of law enforcement and federal officers sometimes serve as triggermen for drug smugglers, so, like, call men, like, hey, they're coming, get your shit out, corruption is not unusual. But the devotion of Constanzo's followers ran deeper than cash on the line. In or out of uniform, they literally worshipped Adolfo as a minor god in his own right, their living conduit to the spirit world. So, like, he was their channel. Like, he had convinced them that, like... He was kind of the end-all, be-all, because he was their connection to their higher power. Yeah. In in 1986, Adolfo was introduced to the Calzada drug family. They were a prominent Mexican narcotics cartel. They were a family of dudes that were running drugs through there. Adolfo ran the family... What is with my notes? I'm so sorry guys. I literally wrote Adolfo ran the family over with his charming flamboyant <laughs> occult practices. I mean, I guess that makes sense. He didn't run them over, he won them over. Oh man.
1: He ran them over. <laughs> ran straight to the house over top of them.
0: He won them over with his charm and flamboyant occult practices and ceremonies. He profited immensely from this contact that he had with them, and by early 1987, he was able to pay 60k in cash for a condo in Mexico City. Like cash, just bam, there you go, paid for. Um, he followed by buying himself a fleet of luxury cars that included an $80,000 Mercedes-Benz.
1: Of course he did.
0: And again, that was like in the 80s, I think at this point, almost, 1986, yeah. When Adolfo wasn't busy working magic and scamming over rich fuckheads, he staged scams of his own, um, separate from the business he was running. Get this, dude. He once posed as a DEA agent to rip off a Coke dealer in Guadalajara. He turned around and sold the stash that he stole to his police contacts for a hundred grand. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. <laughs> uh, name that reference. I'll give you a cookie.
1: It's uh, De Chappelle, isn't it? I didn't mean you, but yes. Oh, <laughs> Sorry.
0: <laughs> Before long, Adolfo decided that the spirits of the dead that resided in his nagunga would be stronger with a life human sacrifice instead of old bones dug from grave sites and animals. Um, mutilated bodies were found in and around Mexico City, and they would bear the burden of Adolfo's need. No final tally of Adolfo's victims is available, but at least 23 ritualistic sacrifices are well documented that he, you know, facilitated. Mexican authorities point to a rash of unsolved mutilation slangs around Mexico City and elsewhere, suggesting that Adolfo's known victims may only represent the tip of a malignant iceberg. Constanzo began to believe at this point that his magic spells, many of which he took from Palo were responsible for the success of the cartel. So, like, he was drinking his own Kool-Aid at this point. He's like, I'm the shit, I'm a god, life plays by my rules. More specifically, the Caldaza family demanded... I am fucking up today. I'm sorry. So... He took responsibility for everything he had done for all the drug families. Um, but the Calzada family, he had done a lot for, and they were running, like, a lot of drugs, so he that was a high-dollar contact he had. So at that point, he demanded to become a full partner with them, like a full business partner that he, you know, collaborated and got a part of their income. His demand was rejected, like, immediately. And right after that, several family mes- members disappeared from that drug family. ...from The Calzadas. I mean, like, inconspicuous. <laughs> yeah. You tell me no. Oh, seven of you are gone. I don't know. Bye. These people were reported missing on May 1st. Police noting melted candles and other evidence of strange religious ceremony at Calzadas' office. Six more days elapsed before officers began fishing mutilated remains from the Zampongo River. Seven corpses were recovered in the course of a week, all bearing marks of sadistic torture. Fingers, toes, and ears removed, hearts and sex organs excised, part of the spine ripped from one body, ow, two others missing their brains. The vanished parts, as it turned out, hadn't gone to feed the Constanzo's cauldron of blood, building up his strength for greater conquests yet to come. So...
1: Jesus. Yeah,
0: he was like, I can't business partner with you? All right, fuck you. I'm going to kill you and put your fucking body parts, which hold your strength, into my naganga. Suck my cat. In 1987, Adolfo was introduced to another prominent drug-running family led by Brother Elio and Ovidio Hernandez. Adolfo had also been introduced to 22-year-old Sarah Aldrede a Mexican national with resident alien status in the U.S. She had gained that while attending college in Brownsville, Texas. Adolfo charmed Sarah um, as he did everyone else around him. He was very charming. He was a master of manipulation. Sarah was dating Brownsville drug smuggler Gilberto Sosa at the time, but she very soon wound up in Constanza's bed. Adolfo then made an anonymous phone call to Sosa to reveal Sarah's infidelity. At this point, Sarah had nowhere to go because he broke up with her and kicked her out. She plunged full tilt into Adolfo's world, emerging as the Mandrina, also known as a high priestess or head witch of his cult. She added her own twist to the torture torture of sacrificial victims. So she, like, kind of added some crazy shit in there of her own as well. Constanzo's rituals began more elaborate and sadistic after he moved his headquarters to a plot of desert called Rancho Santa Elena 20 miles from Matamoros in Mexico it was there on May 28 1988 drug dealer Hector de la Fuente and farmer Moses Castillo were executed by gunfire back in Mexico City he directed his disciples to dismember a transgender person God, why are people still using the term transvestite? I have to edit every time I read. Ramon Esquiville and dumped her grisly remains on a public street corner. Adolfo's luck was holding, and Constanzo narrowly escaped when Houston police raided one of his drug houses in June 1988, seizing numerous items of occult paraphernalia and the city's largest ever shipment of cocaine. Um, on August 12th, Avito Hernandez and his two-year-old son were kidnapped by rival narcotics dealers. The family turning to Constanzo for help, basically. They were like, uh, our family's gone. We need your help. Get them back. That night, another human sacrifice was staged at the Rancho Santa Elena Ranch. And the hostages were released unharmed on August 13th. So, of course, Adolfo claimed full credit for their safe return and was like, that was me. Mm-hmm. All me. In November of 1988, Constanzo sacrificed disciple George Gomez, accused of snorting cocaine in direct violation of El Padrino's ban on drug use. So in their little, basically cult that they had going on, they weren't allowed to, to, what is it, don't get high on your own supply? Yeah. Yeah. A month later, Adolfo's ties with Hernandez's family were cemented with the... um, initiation of Avito hernandez as a full-fledged cultist complete with ritual bloodletting and prayers to the naganga so he was like i'm doing this i'm all in and he was the head of the other drug family he was yeah. introduced to after he killed off all those people yep so he he's in this february 14th 1989 isn't that valentine's day yeah i think so oh god Competing drug smuggler Ezekiel Luna was tortured in Adolfo's home. Happy Valentine's Day. Two other dealers, Ruben Garza and Ernesto Diaz, wandered into the sacrificial ceremony uninvited and promptly ended up on the menu as well. Oh, Jesus. I thought that was fucked. That's like an an episode, like a Saw movie. Yeah. It literally is. Adolfo sometimes demanded a sacrifice on the spur of the moment, like right then, without rhyme or reason. When he called for fresh meat on February 25th, 11 days after that last sacrifice, Avidio Hernandez gladly joined in the hunting party, picking off his own 14-year-old cousin, Jose Garcia, in the heat of the moment. Wow. March 13th, 1989, Adolfo sacrificed yet another victim at the ranch. He was very disappointed by his victim who did not scream or plead for mercy or help in the approved fashion. Fuck off. Oh, my God.
1: Disgruntled.
0: (laughs) Disgruntled. Thank you for reading my notes. He ordered an American for the next ritual. Um, He ordered American? Yeah. He was like, I see the menu. I want a fucking white person. Give it to me. Uh, All of his little minions fanned out with their noses to the ground. 21-year-old Mark Kilroy was abducted outside a Matamoros saloon. So he was all drunky-poo. In Adolfo's opinion, the sacrifice went well. Jesus Christ. This sacrifice was followed up two weeks later by the butchery of Sarah Aldrede's ex-boyfriend, Gilberto Souza, the guy that he called yeah, up. Yeah. And he was like, I just fucked your lady. So, insult to injury. Fortunately, Kilroy's abduction marked the beginning of the end for Adolfo's homicidal family and cult. Mark Kilroy was a pre-med student. Um, He was not less than dead, as Adolfo's other victims have been. Now, when I said less than dead, that term basically means... uh, I have to be very delicate with this, but this, Mark was not a drug pusher or a smuggler. He wasn't dealing... With the stigma of being transgendered, he wasn't a drug addict, he wasn't a homeless person living on the streets. It's not like he could just disappear without a trace and not have people asking questions and wondering where he's at. Yep. With family members and Texas politicians turning up the heat on the search for Mark Kilroy, it rapidly progressed. But it would be Adolfo's own disciples who destroyed him in the end. By late March 18, 1989, Mexican authorities were busy with one of their periodic anti-drug campaigns. They had erected a roadblock on a whim and were sweeping the border districts for unwary smugglers. On April 1st, Victor Sauceta, an ex-cop turned gangster, was sacrificed at the ranch, and the spirit message Constanzo received was optimistic enough for his troops to move a half ton of marijuana across the border seven nights later. It was at this point that the magic started to unravel. How do cops get rid of that much marijuana? They burn it. How do they not get
1: super, super high? They burn it and they can control the area.
0: Is that really what they do? Like, where do you put a half ton of marijuana to incinerate it, though? I don't know. Give it to me.
1: There's so much shit that goes on in evidence rooms that's ridiculous. Oh, my God.
0: That's a trip.
1: Which actually, I don't know. I don't. I'm not. I've never been in an evidence room, so I don't know why I just made that statement. Because I have no fucking clue. Because you goes. assume. <laughs> I assume because I watch a lot of fucking TNT and.
0: Oh my god.
1: Cop movies and cop shit. Cop
0: movies. I, I'm sure those uh, are super fucking. Been inside accurate. of jail.
1: I could tell you what they look like.
0: Oh, here we go. <laughs> On April 9th, Disciple Serafin Hernandez was driving back from a meeting with Constanzo. He drove past a police roadblock without stopping and ignoring the cars that set off in hot pursuit for him. He believed he was protected and seemed surprised when officers trailed him to his destination in Matamoros. Even so, the smuggler was arrogant, inviting police to shoot him since, quote, the bullets would merely bounce off. I would have shot him. Me too.
1: Wish I would, like, lay I want to kill them. That
0: much stupid deserves to die. I'm yeah. sorry.
1: <laughs> that I'm much sorry. stupid?
0: They arrested him instead of shooting him and killing him, <coughs> along <laughs> with another cult member, David Martinez, and they drove the pair back to Rancho Santa Alina, where a preliminary search turned up marijuana and firearms. Disciples Elio Hernandez and Sergio Martinez stumbled into the net while police were on hand, and all four were taken prisoner and interrogated throughout the evening revealing their tales of black magic, torture, and human sacrifice with a perverse kind of pride. So they did it like they were proud of themselves, but they just fucking spilled everything. They just, Mm -hmm. like, spilled it. The next morning, police returned to the ranch in force, discovering a shed where Constanzo kept his naganga, brimming with blood, spiders, scorpions, a dead black cat, a turtle shell, bones, deer antlers, and a human brain. Captive cult members directed searchers to Constanzo's private cemetery, and excavation began, revealing 15 mutilated corpses by April 16th. So it was a literal fucking graveyard. In addition to Mark Kilroy and other victims already named, the body count included two renegade federal narcotics officers, Joaquin Manzo and Miguel Garcia, along with three men who were never identified, which is very, very sad. The hunt for Adolfo ensued, and police raided a luxury home of Constanzo's in... Atizapan, a town outside of mexico city here they found huge stockpiles of gay pornography which i thought was weird they included but i thought i would too because it was fucking weird
1: well, and in the I... beginning of your story you talked about how he was dabbling in bisexuality or
0: yeah he was gay he like lived with dudes he was yeah. gay so i don't know why that mattered but i don't They're know just why reinforcing
1: it the fact that he was gay
0: i don't know why it matters but anyway yeah, yeah. um they also found a hidden ritual chamber at that house The discoveries at the Rancho Santa Elena made international headlines and sightings of Constanza were reported as far away as Chicago, but in fact he had already returned to Mexico City, hiding out in a small apartment with Sarah and three other disciples. On May 2nd, thinking to save herself, Sarah tossed a note out the window. It read, Please call the judicial police and tell them that in this building are those that they are seeking. Give them the address, fourth floor. Tell them that a woman is being held hostage. I beg for this, because what I want most is to talk, or they're going to kill the girl. A passerby did indeed stumble upon the note, but kept it to himself, thinking it was a lame attempt at a hoax. So, good job. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. On May 6th, neighbors called police to complain of a loud, vulgar argument. Some say this argument was accompanied by gunshots, but that wasn't super corroborated, so I don't know how accurate that is. As patrolmen arrived on the scene, Adolfo opened fire with an Uzi, which, holy, that's a movie. Shit. This started a 45-minute battle in which, miraculously, only one officer was wounded. He had a fucking Uzi. When, they're probably trained in that shit, though. When Constanzo realized that escape was impossible, he handed his weapon to another cult, cultist, Alvaro de Leon Valdez, a professional hitman that worked for the group, nicknamed El Dubby. With bizarre new orders, he asked El Dubby to kill him and Martin Quintana, which was another disciple there. I told him I couldn't do it, he said, but he hit me in the face and threatened me that everything would go bad for me in hell if I didn't oblige. Then he hugged Martin, and I just stood in front of them and shot them with a machine gun, (laughs) is his quote. So he didn't want the police to kill him. He wanted to die on his own terms. Constanzo and Quintana were dead when police stormed the apartment, arresting L.W. and Sarah. In the aftermath of the raid, 14 cultists were indicted on various charges, including multiple murders, weapons and narcotics violations, conspiracy, and obstruction of justice. In August 1990, L.W. was convicted of killing Constanzo and Quintana, drawing a 30-year prison term. Cultists Juan Fragosa and George Montez were both convicted in the Ramon Esquivel murder and sentenced to 35 years each, which, yeah, burn in hell. Omar Orea convicted in the same case, died of AIDS before he could be sentenced. So there's karma. Sarah was acquitted of Constanzo's murder but sentenced to a six-year term on conviction of criminal association, which I feel like she got off pretty easy. Because she, she participated in the sacrifices. She was nearing the end of that criminal sentence in 1994 when her long-delayed trial on multiple murder charges brought another conviction and a 60-year prison term. Ha-ha, bitch. I
1: love how you wrote that in your notes. I did. I thought ha, ha, that. Ha-ha, all caps, <laughs> and then bitch.
0: Because I was researching, I was like, six years, are you fucking kidding me? And then I found that, and I was like, ah, nice. Uh, police in Mexico are still uncertain of Constanza's final body count, some officers trying to clear every realistic ritualistic murder on the books by posthumously blaming Constanzo is not correct. He didn't do every single one. On the other hand, in June, 1989, Martin Quintana's sister told police that Adolfo's first madrina was still at large, practicing her blood magic in Guadalajara. And from jail before he died, Omar Aurea said, I don't think that the religion will end with us because it has a lot of people in it. They have found a temple in Monterey that isn't even related to us. It will continue."
1: Jesus Christ. So
0: his first Madrina fled and was practicing elsewhere, so it still exists.
1: Yeah, it's still out there.
0: And that is Adolfo Constanza.
1: Okay, so mine, like I said, has nothing to do (laughs) with this topic that we are supposed to be doing this week. Good job. Yep, thank you. Mine started back in the 30s with the Victor Huftuf. Huftuf. What? I don't know, I'm drunk. Where? The H right there.
0: Oh Hoot. Hootif.
1: Hootif. Uh he was a disgruntled member of the Seventh day Adventist Church.
0: Oh God. Yup. Yeah,
1: he eventually left and started his own cult and he called it the David N movement.
0: I don't know what this is.
1: As Vic uh after Victor's death another member, actually his name was Ben road or Roden, led a different version. But it was still kind of close to the David uh, David Ian movement. So it was like a branch. And its name was branch <laughs> of David Ian. Yes. Movement, actually. <laughs> movement. Movement. Or just <laughs> LLC. The bra- actually they just kinda went by the branch. Okay. Or another, <laughs> you know, another name. Yeah. And actually uh, Victor had owned property on Mar- Mount Carmel near Waco, Texas. Okay. And uh Ben's group. The new branch, they took. Oh, they took control of the settlement in nineteen sixty-two after Victor's death.
0: So, did they still like fuck with each other, those two branches?
1: No, they, uh, Ben. So Victor died. Ben took over, and pretty much the group just followed Ben at that okay, point. And gotcha. ben, ben just pretty much took over the state, and so everything. it all converged. It all went just straight to Ben, Okay. or Ben just took over. But uh, Ben had uh, Ben actually died in. Oh wait, sorry. I'm drunk and I just completely skipped over. Like, That's why
0: I don't use my <laughs> phone for notes. But I'll give you a second. Proceed. Anyways,
1: here's a little background on the group. They believed that the Bible was the word of, or the Bible, the word of God, and that, or, and that they followed it to a T. Oh no. Yeah. So they pretty much they're doomsday preppers. The group looked to the Bible for clues about the end of the world. They also studied the Book of Revelations, mainly se- uh, Christ's second coming.
0: Wait. I'm not even Christian, and when I read that book in the Christian Bible, it scared the fucking shit yeah. out of me. So that's what they focused on. All right, mm-hmm. cool.
1: And they're pretty much they're just doomsday preppers. They just they uh, they followed the Bible to it. They're they like fucking, it's gonna
0: fucking happen. Yeah, exactly. Jesus take the wheel. Yeah,
1: <laughs> pretty much exactly. They're yeah they're Jesus take the fucking wheel. Let's go for a ride. <laughs>
0: The church of Carrie Underwood. Yeah. So, (laughs)
1: 1978 is when Ben uh, Roden died, leaving his wife, Lois, as the group leader. But in 1981, a 22-year-old, Vernon Wayne uh, Howell, came to Mount Carmel, and from the beginning, he had a hard-on for Lois.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So, shortly after his arrival, him and Lois became romantic, and... Again, Lo, now Lois dies. So now Jeez. Vernon tries to take control over the group, but he he actually clashes with George Roden, which is the son of Ben and Lois.
0: Okay.
1: A fight for leadership breaks out, which turns into a gun battle. Jeez a gun, gun battle. Right. Yeah. So in 1987, George was shot in the fucking head and chest. Listen to this though. Vernon plus seven other followers went to trial for attempted murder, and these motherfuckers got acquitted, and the case against hell was a mistrial.
0: Where did the seven other people come from? Only one person shot the gun.
1: Well, they're probably involved. In some way. Yeah, or just witnesses. How are you acquitted?
0: Did he say, like, like personal murder? I didn't look into it. What's it it called? Defense? What is that word?
1: No, I just have a... I believe that it was... I can't remember, actually. I looked into it a little bit, but that was like. Tuesday. Well, the
0: judicial system can be shit, so they got acquitted. Yeah. That's all we need to
1: know. So, by 1990, having gained control over the branch, Vernon legally changed his name to David Korish, which uh, the whole name change to Korish is that uh, it's a Hebrew name for Cyrus, and Cyrus was the. Persian king that conquered Babylon and released the Jews. Okay. So he's pretty much is trying to Jewish? say Yeah. Okay. So he is pretty much trying to say that, you know, he was, I
0: will liberate you. Exactly. On February 28th,
1: uh 1993, the ATF, the US Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms actually had received uh, quite a few reports about the group in the compound. So they actually raided the compound at Mount uh, Carmel near Waco, Texas, and they, like I said, had received a bunch of reports that the branch and their leader, David, were violating uh, federal firearms regulations.
0: Who cares, but okay. You're in well, Texas. They're a,
1: they're a cult, and everybody knew they were a cult. So they were and, just trying
0: to get them in trouble. But I
1: think that they are running this place, like, from the other stuff that I was looking at, it looked like they were running this place like a fucking military compound. Like, there's big gates and people standing on platforms above the gate with guns. and. So,
0: like Scientology.
1: Yeah, pretty much, but, like... Redneck Scientology, not rich Scientology. That sounds so <laughs> that much fucking it, right?
0: scarier. Are you kidding me?
1: I didn't really do... Like, it's like
0: Hills Have Eyes. You drive up and yeah. he has like an Uzi and he's like playing banjo. <laughs> so, uh the,
1: actually, that's kind of fucked up. The raid went really south and the branch open fired on agents. But the... Uh, the gunfire started because of a fucking federal agent shooting himself in the leg. Oh, no! So it went he off
0: and everybody's like, oh, shit, yeah, here we go. He
1: was climbing over a wall to gain access and shot himself in the leg. <laughs> and a member of the branch just started to open fire. <laughs> he didn't even know what the fuck was going on. They didn't. This motherfucker was like, oh, my God. It's <laughs> just been shot because, I mean, immediately after that, everybody started shooting. So they didn't. I don't think they found out about like how the shooting started until like a day or so after. Okay. But because all the fire or the shooting had started, this fucking turned into a fifty-one day standoff.
0: What? (laughs) What?
1: Yeah. After. There's four ATF agents that got killed and six uh, Davidins, the branch Davidins, that got killed. Wow. And there were nearly 900 law enforcement officers surrounding the compound. Do you know
0: how many people were inside the compound?
1: There wasn't many. There's more kids than anything. And a lot oh, of them were David's kids. Oh, my God. And are, I bet yeah, you he's going to, like, mass
0: suicide them all. Oh, jeez. Mm,
1: no, actually. Tell me. I will. Let me keep reading. Okay. So, like I said, four ATF agents and six uh, David-In, David Ian branches, David-In's, I think it's David-In's. Uh, the branch. The branch, yeah. And there is 900 law enforcement officers surrounding the compound. Wow. This included negot- or hostage negotiators, rescue teams from the Federal Bureau of In- Investigation, so from the FBI, and eventually reporters did end up showing up on site and they filmed... And played the whole standoff on TV, and there's news reports and like headlines broke. News. So
0: basically, the reporters were like, "Criminals in Waco! If you want <laughs> to commit a crime, do it today.
1: I guess. Everyone
0: is here. Or let's,
1: <laughs> you know, let's have a party and fucking come show up and fucking see how this thing ends.
0: Oh man, I a, lot think about show, that, yeah, a lot of people shout. A lot of people
1: showed up Why on the site.
0: Fu- watch it on TV. They're streaming it.
1: Well, I mean, you could. You could, what, firsthand. not get hit
0: by a stray bullet if you're sitting yeah. in your living room yeah, watching it? Yeah, yeah. Fuck that.
1: Anyways, uh, despite some early negotiation success, the Davids actually sent out two dozen children. Okay. In exchange for food and other supplies.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah, right? How much As is 14 reading- children worth?
1: As I was reading all this, 14 children, 2 Did dozen. Did you say 2 dozen? Yeah.
0: Oh, 12. Wow, I can't do math. 2 dozen. 24? Jesus Christ. You? I used to be I'm a finance, finance manager. One. <laughs> all right,
1: dude. All right, anyways. <laughs> so they exchanged the children for uh, food and other supplies. <laughs> yeah. Numerous children remained among those inside. That's Many not of them were children of Cornish with various women. So oh, so he was one of those that shit fucked
0: ev- oh, good. Nice. Yep.
1: So, uh, in his negotiation with the FBI during the Waco stage, Cornish claimed he was uh, a f- prophet in the Bible and that God had given him his surname. So he had threatened violence against those who would attack him and his family, but asserted that the Davidans were planning a mass suicide.
0: Ding, 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 ding.
1: Yeah. Pretty intense. Knew it. So the branch... uh,
0: Wait, he insinuated that? Yeah. So he didn't, like, straight out...
1: He didn't really straight out actually tell the police during his negotiation, but he was pretty much... He pretty much couldn't keep his mind straight. Yeah, he just was... A Big bully. He's like, Yeah, if you come near my family anymore, you know, I'm going to fucking kill all of you, blah, okay. blah, blah. Okay. And then he goes, Even if you get close to us, you know, we're all prepared to. We're ready. In- yeah, we're ready. You're not going to take us. We're going to go out on our own terms, type deal. So
0: basically putting He's child murder on the officer's uh-huh. so conscience. Yeah. Nice. All right.
1: So, uh, the branch, uh, was known for, or. I don't really know how to talk. Say this.
0: Not <laughs> how to talk. What? What does it say?
1: It's, well, it's I. I know what it says, but I was gonna put it in a different way. The branch Davidians pretty much considered Cornish the lamb, like he was the shit. In the Book of Revelations, they speak of the lamb, and the lamb is like the doer of all things. The lamb's and... not
0: the sacrifice. Mm. Okay. It's obviously been a while for. Yeah.
1: me. Yeah. Uh Pretty much, he is the only one that's worthy of unlocking the seven seals and revealing to the world the inter- uh the eternity of the Bible and the teachings of the Bible.
0: Okay, so he was similar to the occultic cult
1: yeah. leader. Yeah, that I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. kind of. Pretty much, in a sense, he's he the chosen one. Yeah, he's just practicing in a different religion. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. same shit, different okay. way of putting it, I guess. Uh, that allowed Cornish to justify some of his conventional, even, uh, wait, no, that's <laughs> not right, just pretty much justify his fucking stupidity and his fucking craziness. His behavior. His behavior, yeah. Uh, and his practice, uh, practices, including taking various spiritual wives. Oh my Some God. reportedly as long as 11 which I thought was... As
0: many as, ele- like, 11 times. No, lives?
1: no, as young as, as 11 Oh, years young old. as... Le-
0: yeah, and some of
1: those youngsters got pregnant.
0: What's that guy's name that is the leader of the strict Mormonism cult, and he's in prison, and everybody's still... Oh, my God, it's going to drive me crazy. I can't remember.
1: I know you're talking about that now.
0: And I don't have my phone, and I can't look um, it up. Similar to that guy.
1: So back to the negotiation. As time went on, the hostage team actually... Handled all the tactical maneuvers, disagreed on how to handle the siege because they were going to, you know, they were in the standoff, so they are going to fucking, for they were going to get in there. For 51
0: fucking days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
1: it, it was the whole thing of, you know, you had state, you had city, you had feds, you had all these different jurisdictions fighting for fucking, uh, whatever you want to call it power uh, in the power situation power in the situation like i'm Shot taking caller. Lead. exactly so fbi finally was <laughs> like hey we're the Shot tactical caller. you know rescue team like we handle this shit let's come up with the fucking plan let's present it and that's it you know this, I is, agree this with is the that. plan this is what we're doing i don't give a fuck what you say this is when we're doing it bye
0: we're not going to stand out here for another month exactly
1: and a half. so the the team actually Went in slow paced for negotiation. So they were pretty much taking their time on negotiations so the team could come up with a good plan and get in there. Okay. Uh, they employed aggressive tactics like playing eye-splitting music and crushing the David N's cars, disrupting often negotiation efforts. if that makes sense.
0: That didn't make sense. No. So ear-splitting music, I think, is what you meant to say. So just annoying I say? eye-splitting.
1: Oh, yeah. So just seriously. annoying
0: the shit out of them. <laughs> and then crushing... Can they crush their cars?
1: Well, they're pretty much disabling their cars. I put crushing their cars, but they're, like, disabling them. They're allowed
0: them to fuck with their shit?
1: So they can't leave pretty much making sure that they have no means of leaving if they ever want to leave, but they're they're going to leave by foot because their whole place was surrounded. They're
0: halfway torturing them, though, by (laughs) playing all that music and shit.
1: Exactly. They're pretty much trying to make them go crazy so where a lot of the people just fucking end up leaving or, you know, wanting to run out.
0: It's different. It's smart. I like it. Okay.
1: Yeah. So the FBI, unconvinced, decided to act to end the siege. Pretty much that all those attempts were like, yeah, this shit ain't going to work. So the FBI finally just... Token and did Broken. their plan, yeah, did their plan. Through the, uh, sorry, the FBI, unconvinced. So they actually went to Attorney General Janet uh, Reno, and she was actually reluct, uh, relic- reluctant.
0: Reluctant.
1: Thank you. Fuck, I can't speak. <laughs> and, but uh, ended up actually approving the plan for firing. C. Uh, CS gas, which is a form of tear gas, okay, into the compound. Gotcha. And they actually do actually try and force the Davins out because they're trying to in different ways to where they actually did not have to go get a fucking approval. But they provables. needed clearance they needed for clearance that. and shit. Yeah. Okay. So, uh,
0: which I'm glad that they just can't mm-hmm. free handedly do that.
1: So at or after 6 a.m. on April 19th, 1993, FBI agents used two special equipped tanks to. Uh, Penetrate the compound? Pretty much, they're just those fully armored trucks. Like they, they broke
0: weren't... into
1: it? Yeah, they Tight. just fucking drove they just down.
0: Bulldozed over there. And they beds.
1: disposed of four hundred canisters of.
0: Canisters. Holy shit! Can that like do more than just harm someone?
1: Yeah, I'm assuming. I don't think a they really cared was a at this chemical. point. I don't think they gave a shit. Oh,
0: there's they kids wanted in to put, there. They
1: wanted to put them down.
0: They're like, we are done. I'm- but you got
1: to remember, too, they fucking, there's a fucking gunfight, and there's yeah, reports yeah, yeah. of a shit ton of weapons and stuff like true. that. So they're pretty much trying to get them down. Very true. So soon after the attack ended around 12. So it only took six hours.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. God, how could they see anything to counter? That's
1: probably why it took six hours.
0: <laughs> like, trying to feel their way <laughs> through the
1: fucking... Oh my the blades were probably in there, and they're like, oh, fuck, I think we fucked up. Maybe, like, a hundred canisters oh would have been good. Oh, my God.
0: I misunderstood the assignment.
1: <laughs> Did somebody not read these fucking labels? This thing does not stop.
0: <laughs> they probably can't do math like I can't. <laughs> They're like, 400? Oh, no, actually, it was 40. Yeah, actually, mistake. it was only
1: supposed to be four. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh several... <laughs> Remember, 400 canisters okay. of gas. Got These you. things have to be propelled somehow, correct? To correct. get out, like, like an aerosol. But, okay. But, I mean, you're not going to put Did aerosol. it catch on fire? Several. <laughs> fires broke out around the corner. <laughs> and gunfire was heard inside safety oh. concerns prevented firefighters from entering the Mount oh, Carmel no. immediately oh, no. and the flames quickly spread and engulfed the property so
0: they couldn't even ho- oh no they couldn't hose it down holy shit dude why are you laughing that's so my left
1: it's just funny that the cops it's like the fucking thing in i think it was like the oh 60s God. in oregon when a well washed up and the fucking department of the harbor or whatever instead of removing the well they blew it up what the fuck <laughs> they blew up a fucking well it was hilarious. Oh
0: my god! So uh,
1: nine Davidans were able to escape. <laughs> Investigators later found seventy-six bodies inside the compound, oh. including twenty-five children. Sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. Ow! Oh. Some of them, including Cornish, had fatal gunshot wounds, suggesting suicide or murder-suicide.
0: Children did not commit suicide. They shot sign. them. Come on. Mm,
1: I think David did, or whatever. Somebody you want to call shot them. them, David. From the beginning, the government handled the Waco siege, which played out. Al- in national and international media. So I was actually wrong. I totally forgot about this part. So from the beginning, the feds took over. Okay. The feds were involved. But yeah.
0: everybody was kind of pining for that, but the feds were in control.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, and with heavy critics, they, you know what I mean? The news reported national and international and heavily criticized. I
0: mean, what else are you supposed to do? Yeah. Like, those people's lives are in Reno important. took
1: responsibility for the botched raid, which was the... Uh, uh, attorney general.
0: Rough, okay, it's not really her
1: responsibility. Later admitted there was no evidence of ongoing child abuse within the compound.
0: But I
1: Yep, yeah, I know. which <laughs> had been one of the justifications for ordering the gas attack.
0: I would say that shooting children okay. is child abuse, but okay. It is,
1: but they didn't need to fucking release 400 canisters of CS gas. What
0: what what do you think the best reaction to that situation would have been? Like honestly. Cause I don't know.
1: I honestly think it's a stealth attack at night send in fucking four guys and just take out the one person. You already have photos of them.
0: But it's more than one person, and all those people are heavily armed. It and is, those but if you hold fucking... on, and those four people that are working for the SWAT team or whatever the fuck it was, they have families.
1: True, I agree. I agree. But if you take out, I mean, take the head of a snake, the body dies, right? Yeah,
0: it's all shitty. It's it all is. fucking shitty.
1: So, uh, though the government long maintained that its actions played no role in starting the fires at the Waco mm. compound, in 1999 it was revealed that some of the gas the FBI used was flammable under certain conditions. So like Reno,
0: 400 canisters <laughs> worth? That kind
1: of condition? Yeah, exactly. Okay. So Reno subsequently appointed the lawyer and former Senator John Danforth to lead an investigation into the siege's end, in 2000 he uh, conducted that government agents did not start the fires or shoot at the compound. Despite the conclusion, resentment lingered about the government's handling of the situation, which practically fueled the growth of the homegrown militias in the militias in the United States. The Waco siege and the 1992 Ruby ridge incident in oh, yeah. ohio oh, often yeah. often cited by government uh, critics as ex- examples of overreach and intrusion by federal officials yeah. so that was the end of my story but uh in april of 95 the second anniversary of the waco siege a militant named timothy mcvain used a truck loaded with 4800 pounds.
0: That's why I knew about of this. fuel
1: oil okay. and aluminum nitrate to attack the Alfred P. Murr uh, Mur, Murr Murr? I, I don't know. Huh?
0: Where? Murra?
1: Murra. Uh-oh. Where would it go? I don't know. Murra yeah. office or federal building in Oklahoma City? I think that's Oklahoma? a last name. Yeah. Okay. Uh with the total of 168 people killed and some 850 wounded, From a the truck? Oklahoma City bombing was oh. by far the deadliest terrorist attack in the United States to this date.
0: Including 9-11? Oh and no, to that, that date. was,
1: they were saying that that was revenge for the Waco attack.
0: And you know what, when you had started talking about it, I thought I had remembered it f- Vaguely from somewhere, and that's the reason because of that attack that yeah. was stemmed from it. And I remember people referencing that. All right, guys, well, we are wrapping up this week's episode. Just to let you know, we do have social media out there um, Facebook, booze, bullshit, and true crime. Instagram, booze, bullshit, and true crime as well. Like, follow, comment, interact. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you don't like. Holla at me. I need it. Also, if you have your own crazy story, a drink recommendation, uh, compliments, things we could do better, we also have an email. It's booze, bs, and true crime at gmail.com. Again, that's booze bs as in bullshit true and true crime at gmail.com. Um, thank you so much for listening with us today guys. Bye bitches. Bye bitch.